640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. All right, it's the Think Tank panel. We roll it all the way through commercial-free until 8 o'clock this morning. A reminder, like I should do this probably, because we won't, I won't tell you again for the next 20 minutes. It's cold outside for like the eighth straight day. Feels like minus 16 with the wind chill, uh, minus eight currently right now. Uh, joining us, we have, uh, uh, she was working on Mark Saunders' campaign for mayor last time I saw her. She is Larissa Waller, and it's nice to have you in. We were, we were seeing each other in better weather in the spring and summer when you were bringing Mark in. And us grilling him with all sorts of tough questions, beating him up. <laughs> he's tough. I can't. I can't take he's him. He's a good guy. He's, he's a good, good guy. guy. Yeah, he's on. Uh, he was on just two mornings ago. And Dimitri Lascaris. Pleasure Come on. Doing. Was I close? Uh, that's pretty much the English version. Yes. Thanks for the, having me. Again. I know we're speaking English, but I wanted to get the Greek version. So you're, you've, you're more of Greek heritage than anything else. Yes. Both my parents are born and raised in Greece. Okay. Uh, in Greek, we say Laskaris. Um, I went to, I, I spent a lot of time at Euro 2004, and you're probably well aware Greece won Euro 2004. I was drunk on Danforth Street. Uh, Come on, you're celebrating <laughs> that? Yeah, I saw the them beat, so the first match I went to was in uh, uh, Porto, and they beat uh, Portugal 1-0, and you're like, oh, that might be the only game they win in the tournament. And then uh, they just kept beating everybody 1-0 all the They'd get an early goal, and then they'd park the bus. I'm using yeah. soccer vernacular. Hey, no right no one is more shocked than the Greek people. Well, they haven't been very <laughs> so, good since. So right. you're probably like, wow, great era. But it, it looks like it was a little bit, little bit of a moment in time, I'll put yeah. it that way. Um, all right, let's start here, because this is kind of breaking yesterday. Israel PM Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday said he can't abide by the idea of a Palestinian state. <clears throat> um, that, follows the conclu- that would follow the conclusion of this military action against Hamas, which, again, those are a lot of open-ended questions as to where this goes and how long it goes. Larissa, let me start with you. I think that feels very much a blow to those hoping for the concept of a two-state solution. Um, and the conversations that I think we all have colloquial are thinking, we're in some really tough times right now. None of this has been, um, to put it bluntly, uh, awesome. It's been draining. It's been exhausting. It's been a terribly sad 14 weeks. That said, I think we all hoped is some of what was happening going to get us closer to moving to a more permanent solution. And I feel like the Israeli prime minister poured cold water on that yesterday. What's your thought? Yeah, I mean, I think his comments were most unhelpful. Um, I think if we look at the history of the conflict in the region, um, the impediment to a two state solution has never been Israel. Um, So I'm not here to carry water for Netanyahu or defend what he said. I think that there's some thinking around the idea of the day after the war is over, there has to be de-radicalization of the Palestinian people, of of the UNRWA schools. There's a lot of work that has to be done. But I think ultimately for there to be peace uh, in the region, there has to be a two-state solution. But again, I don't think Israel, by and large and historically, has been the impediment uh, there's been offers of two-state solutions in 37, 47, 2000, 2008, and it's never been Israel that's been the problem. It's been uh, the Palestinian Authority or the Palestinian people. Okay, that's your read on on the situation. Um, but bottom line, Dimitri, like, again, I think we'd all agree the comments are beyond un- unhelpful, and the concept might have been, will this current crisis force them into diplomacy at some point and we just stop, rip the Band-Aid off this endless cycle of violence? And Netanyahu, who knows how long he's got leading Israel, but this is the problem. Whatever happened October 7th, October 8th, October 9th seems to extend, have extended that time no matter what. Well, most unhelpful is the understatement of the day. It is a violation of international law and the Fourth Geneva Convention. It is contrary to the will of the United Nations Security Council, as repeatedly expressed by the UN Security Council and the General Assembly. 
And it's not new. Netanyahu has been saying this his entire political career. So why people are acting as if they're surprised is a bit of a mystery to me. Moreover, it's not just Netanyahu. Uh, he wasn't in power uh, for, I think it was two years. When Yir Lapid was in power, when he was the prime minister recently, uh, the Palestinians got no closer to a state. When Naftali Bennett, who is, by the way, a war criminal, was the prime minister, uh, they got no closer to a Palestinian state. And these so-called offers were not real offers. But when you say the Palestinian pal- excuse state... Excuse me, I didn't interrupt okay. you. When I didn't you say interrupt Palestinian you. I didn't interu- state... I didn't interrupt you. Do you mean... There's never been a time, because you said something, which I, I take exception to. Sure. There has never been a time when the Israeli government has offered to the Palestinian people a truly sovereign state. From where to uh, where? They, what state are you talking about? Are you talking about from the river again, to the sea? I didn't interrupt you. Again, and furthermore, if they actually had any kind of an intention to treat the Palestinian people fairly, why have they populated the West Bank with settlements, over 700,000 settlers there, in violation of the Fortune Convention, as the UN, uh, the, court, the International Court of Justice unanimously ruled in 2004, they just kept building more and more settlements, rendering the two-state solution a practicable impossibility. I, I, but, Dimitri, do you support a two-state solution? Or when Absolutely. You talk- Absolutely. So, I've said this repeatedly. On, right. the, on the 1967 borders, which is precisely... And by the way, that would be a very good deal for Israel, because that would give Israel the vast majority of historic Palestine, even though the Palestinians constitute a slight majority in historic Palestine. How do we look... When was the last time, Dimitri, you would have looked at an Israeli prime minister and said... Either, either when he got elected and said, I see promise here. I see potential for that two-state solution. It's an honest question. Sure. A good question. Uh, Yitzhak Rabin, who unfortunately was murdered by a far-right uh, Israeli uh, nationalist who so arguably was— this is after was, the Oslo Treaty. Correct. We're, we're getting some progress. Bill Clinton's involved in, in that as well. I believe that was around the time of yeah, Clinton, yes. But the, he, he, I believe that Yitzhak Rabin was serious about a two-state solution. I don't know how far he was prepared to go, but we never found out because— and, and Netanyahu arguably incited this with his language around Yitzhak Rabin. Uh, you know, he, he, he presented him to the Israeli people as a menace to the security of the Jewish people. And lo and behold, he was gunned down. And that was a tragedy for us all. How do you view that, Larissa? Like, when, when's the last time you looked and thought, I can see, again, I, I, I know where you're at, and we're going to talk about the Palestinian leadership as well, because that's fair. But when was the last time you looked at an Israeli prime minister and said, I see hope here, I see promise? Certainly it couldn't have been when Netanyahu became reelected. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll grant Dimitri. Dimitri knows the, the domestic politics of, of Israel, of, of Gaza, of the West Bank better than I do. He, he's going to outfact me today. I came with my notes. If, if the viewers okay. could see, I came with my notes because, because he's good at this, right? I don't have any notes, just so no, the you viewers don't. know. You're, you're very you're very slick at this. I'm knowledgeable. <laughs> I'm not slick. I'm um, knowledgeable. And, and you know, I, I this I'm I'm not an expert in international law. I'm not even an expert in the Middle East. But what I know is that the impediment to a two state solution, the the governing party of Gaza, doesn't believe in a two state solution. They've been there since 2005. Right? They believe in in overtaking Israel from the river to the sea, and it rhymes. It's cute. People chant it. But that's what they mean. They mean taking over the territory of Israel by violent means. So if we're looking at what the real impediment to a two-state solution is to peace in that region, it's not Israel. Israel is a thriving democracy. If we don't agree with this current prime minister or with the leadership in Israel, there will be another, there will be another election in short order. But you can't say the same about, about the, Gaza, uh, the Gaza Strip. You can't say the same about the West Bank. So let's stay with us, and I want to stay with you on this, Larissa, and, and then let Dimitri respond. Robin Urbach, uh, I miss her columns in the Globe and Mail. She's on mat leave right now. Nothing's more important than family, but I can't wait until she comes back. She tweeted this yesterday. Netanyahu must go, 
Both the Palestinians and Israelis need new leadership for a shot at finding a path to peace and stability. It, it just resonated with me. Um, is that a pretty fair comment? I don't, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I don't think Netanyahu is the face of Israel. I think the face of Israel are, are, are the people of Israel. I think it's the, the faces of the hostages that Israelis of, of all political stripes are fighting to get back. I think if, got, if, uh, if October 7th did anything, it was really unify, unify Israel and the Israeli people and their identity and in the cause to get their hostages back and live in a secure, safe land, which they can't do while Hamas is in power. Dimitri, when I li- read Robin's statement like that, um, do we look and have to have, again, that honest conversation about, we talked about it last time you were here, the Palestinians have been constantly let down by leaders they either believed in or in the case of Hamas, democratically elected. Well, the Palestinian people since 2005 haven't been allowed to have an election. And it was Israel and the United States that prevented that from happening. Hamas has factored into that as well. Hamas could hold a democratic election yeah, well, given that the, they were democratically elected. Let, let me be very clear. I have absolutely no support whatsoever in my heart for Hamas. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of Palestinians, not all of them by any means, they feel like there's only one party out there in the last 20 years who's been fighting for them. There is a man, by the way, in an Israeli prison by the name of Marwan Barghouti. He's known amongst Palestinians and their supporters as the Nelson Mandela of Palestine. And the poll that they just did recently in the occupied territories showed that if he ran an election today, even though he hasn't been able to campaign in 20 years, he would win. He would defeat the Hamas candidate. And a former leader of the Shin Bet, his name is Ami Ayalon, just gave an interview to The Guardian, I believe it was, Mm. in which he said, this is the Shin Bet, the internal security service of Israel. And he was also a former admiral, a decorated war veteran. He said that Israel should release Marwan Barghouti and allow him to negotiate a two-state solution. What was he convicted of? Well, they convicted him of terrorism, just as they convicted Nelson Mandela of terrorism in these kangaroo military courts that Israel has. Okay. Um, I want to play a clip um, from a member of the Saudi royal family. Uh, He was on with uh, Christian Amanpour. This is Faisal bin Turki al-Saad. I think this is really significant, and then I want you to listen to the follow-up question, and I want to gauge your reaction to it. So here's a member of the Saudi royal family weighing in on this conflict. I categorically condemn Hamas's targeting of civilian targets of any age or gender, as it is accused of. Such targeting belies Hamas's claims to an Islamic identity. There is an Islamic injunction against the killing of innocent children, women, and elders. But equally, I condemn Israel's indiscriminate bombing of Palestinian innocent civilians in Gaza and the attempt to forcibly drive them into Sinai. I condemn Israeli targeted killing and the indiscriminate arrest of Palestinian children, women and men in the West Bank. And what Palestinian entity could be part of any new negotiations? Ms. Amanpour, I wrote an article, I think about two weeks ago, in which I said that Hamas has to declare its joining the Uh, Palestine Liberation Organization under the Palestinian recognition uh, for uh, its statehood in in the area and to accept the uh, Palestine Liberation Organization position on peace with Israel. Uh, That is a a compulsory first step for Hamas to become a party to any peaceful solution in the area. We hear that, Larissa, and I think I'm not going to, you know, prop up the the Saudi royal family as a as a bastion of all that is uh, uh, wonderful and moralistic, but we need more 
conversations like that and we need more emphasis and more more of a thesis that that's the way to get it done. And we don't have very much of that right now among among leaders. Right. I mean, I, I appreciate that he condemned the actions of Hamas. I don't think that there is any route to peace with Israel if Hamas has any sort of power. It doesn't matter if they join the PLO. It, it, if Hamas is there, Hamas exists to wipe out Jews, right? Call them Zionists, call them Jews, call them Zionists of Israel. That's Hamas's goal. There is no scenario where there can be peace or prosperity for Israel or peace or prosperity for the Palestinian people living in Gaza. If Hamas is is in power, if Hamas is there, Hamas is ready and, and willing and wants to sacrifice their own people in the name of killing Jews. That's what they're doing. They, they planned October 7th for two years. They knew what Israel's response would be. Did they shore up food? Did they shore up um, resources? Did they, did they shore up water to serve their own people when they knew this was coming? They had the benefit of foresight, right? No, they didn't. They want the suffering of their own people. They're very good at this. Uh, Dimitri, she, um, Larissa's mentioned radicalization, and I do believe there's an element of radicalization. How important a conversation is that? We're all raised here in Canada, as, you, as you'd agree, to attempt to love each other. Racism can only be taught. You're not born that way biologically. It can only be gained through an environment, either in your own household or wherever you go or whoever you're speaking with. But is there an element of that where, where the Palestinians really need to start from scratch? I know how hard that ask is, but do they need to put away preconceived biases? Do they need to be more accepting of Israelis and Jews? The Palestinian people have been subjected to brutal violence and apartheid for decades, as has been documented by Human Rights Watch, a U.S. human rights organization, Amnesty International from the U.K., two Israeli human rights groups, B'Tselem and Yeshtin, U.N. officials, John Dugard, who's a human rights lawyer who pled South Africa's genocide case before the International Court of Justice, said eight years ago, he lived through apartheid, this is what he said, and what is being done to the Palestinians occupied territories far worse, far worse were his words, than what was done uh, to the black peoples of South Africa by the Afrikaner regime. So, I was just going to so, bring up South Africa, yes, but I'll let you finish, so, go ahead. So this, there is radicalization, absolutely, and the cause of the radicalization is the brutal oppression of the Palestinian people, and what is now being done in Gaza, which has resulted by Israel, has resulted in over 24,000 people being killed in three months, 70% of them women and children, is going to only radicalize the population more. This is not, not only is it a grotesque injustice, but it is not in the security interests of Israel. As this people like Ami Ayalon, the former leader of Shin Bet, has said, this is actually contrary to the security interests of Israel to brutalize the Palestinian people. Can I take it a step further and say the radicalization makes more, obviously it makes more people have a, pre, have a, you know, a, a predilection and a bias, but it also makes more people willing to pick up a gun, willing to go to war, willing to blow themselves up. It does. And, and, and the goal is to go back the other way. And I bring up South Africa to note brutal apartheid regime. It ends in the early 90s. I was a university student writing papers on it at the time. But the blacks didn't turn around and, you know, start treating the white people the way they were treated. It's a really tough balance to go, OK, now it's going to be a democracy. Now we're all going to live as one. Now we're all going to mix. How do we get there? Well, no, the African National Congress did use armed resistance. That's uh, that's exactly why they threw Nelson Mandela in jail and called him a terrorist. He actually wasn't removed from the terrorist watch list of the United States until 2008. Yeah. 
This is 15 Nelson, years after he got out. This, yes. Yeah. So, you know, it, this is a common feature of oppression is that peoples who are being oppressed, some elements of their society will take up arms and sometimes commit atrocities. They absolutely have to be condemned and held accountable for that. But the cause is clear. And we can't stop it by addressing the cause. I, I disagree that the cause is clear. If we're talking about the oppression of the Palestinian people, I blame Hamas. I don't blame Israel. And we're talking about the de-radicalization of the Palestinian people. We have to start at the schools. They're teaching this as curriculum. The, the settlement started 20 years before Hamas was created. These, this violation of the Fort Geneva Convention started in 1967. Arafat's still alive when yeah, they start the he was, settlement. He was the leader of the PLO right. at the time, and they were, he was himself engaged in armed resistance get, and then later became what the, the Israelis regarded as a legitimate representative of the Palestinian people. Your point's well made, Larissa. How, how do you stop, though, the concept of how does hate not breed more hate when the conditions are what they are? I, I get it, and I have no good answer, right? Mm, I have no good answer for that. I would say that... Um, Israel's right now, post-October 7th, in an impossible position. What are they supposed to do? Right? A ceasefire for Israel is a death warrant for the Israeli people. Hamas has said they're going to repeat October 7th again and again. They've called for people to take up arms and kill Jews around the world. And it doesn't stop with the Jews. Right? If, you're, if you're gay in Gaza, they throw you off a building. If you're a woman who's been raped in Gaza, they stone you. So it doesn't stop with the Jews. Hamas has to be destroyed. And and what is this? Israel's in an impossible position. What are they supposed to do? I just worry about, since we're talking, I, I worry that I'll, I want you both to respond to it. I, Hamas being eliminated just seemed like a dream from the beginning. So I'm not even playing devil's advocate. It's a real feeling in my heart now that I might not have had seven weeks ago. When is it just mass destruction for yeah, the sake of mass destruction? Know, I, and I don't have a, again, I'm I asking myself unanswerable questions. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate that. And I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not blind or unsympathetic to the suffering in Gaza right now. Um, I would think that Israel um, has, listen, if Israel wanted to just drop bombs from the air and carpet bomb Gaza without targeting, without giving the notifications, without um, providing the humanitarian corridors, they could have done that. They didn't. Right. They're engaged in a war, an urban war in a very, very, very dense area where Hamas has very smartly used their own civilians as shields. And they know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Right. And, and they know that they're putting Israel in an impossible position If Israel's targeting a school. Right. The, yeah. Hamas puts children there, but then they put missiles and they put their terror tunnels underneath. Uh, What's Israel supposed to do? So you're Dimitri, you're beyond harsh on Israel. You've got your perspective. When when you hear someone say they're in an impossible position, is that not the right? Is not that is that not a fair statement? Well, they're in an entirely possible What's, position. So what are the possibilities to respond as of October 8th? To and give beyond? the Palestinian people a state. But they're not going to do That's, that on October 8th. Well, they, with what never, government? Never, Hamas is the government? They've never wanted to do that. They have had ample opportunity to give the Palestinian people a state. And unless and until they do that, the violence will continue. That's clear. What do you expect the Palestinian people to do? The Palestinian people have to submit to apartheid for the rest of their lives? I mean, what option do they have? Let's give them a peaceful option. That's the solution. But there are Palestinians that did vote in 2005. There's Palestinians on the Supreme Court. I've heard all the open air prison stuff, and I know the conditions changed in Gaza after October 7th. It also had a $2 billion uh, tourism industry. I looked it up. There's a, you and I look like we like uh, going to the gym. They got 140 gyms in Gaza. 
This wasn't this wasn't the West Bank. This was this is not South Af- this is not Pretoria. This is not South African apartheid in 1986 for the people of Gaza on October 6th of this year. Well, it was much worse. It was absolutely much How worse. How can it be worse than because South they, Africa because, 40 years because, ago? Because Greg, they imposed a siege on Gaza in 2006. There are statistics after statistics showing that children in Gaza were mal- were suffering from malnutrition. Every so long, every few years they engaged the Israeli military in something they diabolically called mowing the lawn, where they would kill a few hundred Palestinian civilians. They deprived them of, of the ability to leave this open-air prison. They're trapped there. The, the South Africans were never trapped in a little enclave, which was being relentlessly bombed with 2,000-pound bunker buster bombs. It wasn't much of a life, though. Of course. I, I condemn it unequivocally. The power, what was done to the, the South African people was absolutely impardonable. But this is actually worse. What? Go ahead, Larissa. Yeah, no, I, I just disagree with the idea that it's an apartheid state. It's an apartheid state that has work visas that you can come into Israel with, with a visa. You can come work there. There's a border with Egypt. Nobody's talked about why Egypt doesn't want to let them in. So uh, we, We've had a lot of conversations on the show about that, but yeah, you're but, right. Jordan, no, but, but Jordan's I, done it. Eventually they did it. Egypt's got a but, massive wall up. That yep. is impossible to conquer. Yeah, sure. But when you elect um, a government that exists to destroy you, you're absolutely going to control who goes in and out. And also the aid. It's not that aid hasn't been going into Gaza. Aid's been going into Gaza and Hamas has been stealing that aid and perverting it for their own terrorist activities. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing. Israel in 2023, South African, there's, there's fascism, there's racism, there's power grabbing. It's. Uh, what I worry about, Dimitri, what I'll give you is I worry Israel's going where South Africa was 75 years ago. And that's problematic. That's something nobody wants to see. I know you think they've already been there for a lot of years. It could head in that direction if we don't get some kind of clarity here or if this doesn't stop. We're currently witnessing a genocide. You know, Raz Siegel, a genocide scholar from the United States, said this is a textbook case of genocide. And some say it isn't. I understand. not a universal agreement. But look, you know, all I can do is offer you my own opinion as a lawyer. I've looked at the genocide convention. I've read the jurisprudence of the ICJ. Uh, To my mind, it's a slam dunk case of genocide. It's horrible to say, but that's what it is. Um, They are targeting, they've clearly and unequivocally expressed their intent across the the Israeli government to destroy at a minimum a substantial part of the Palestinian population. I I got 40 seconds and I want to give each of you the 40. Uh, So 40 each. What does a Trump presidency mean for the Middle East? Well, that's an excellent question. I'll try to do my best to answer it very quickly. You know, I go back to the assassination of Soleimani. That was a reckless act. That was an act of war, which almost dragged us into a war. But when Iran retaliated, at least Trump didn't escalate. What I'm seeing from Biden, and I'm certainly no fan of Trump, but what I'm seeing from Biden is that man has even less restraint than Trump. So right now, what we really need in the United States is somebody who's not Trump and not Biden. Doesn't look like we'll get it. No, unfortunately. Larissa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, I didn't think uh, Dimitri and I would agree on much today. Um, but I also I'm not an apologist for Trump. But when Trump was in power, um, global leaders colored within the lines and Trump knew who the bad guys were. He knew Tehran was the bad guy. He knew China was the bad guy. North Korea. North Korea. Yeah. Um, and I think with the Abraham Accords, there was it wasn't just a detente that he was going mm-hmm. for in the Middle East. He was going for par- real partnership with the Gulf states and Israel. Um, I, I don't want to see a Trump presidency either, but I think Trump, you know, he says himself, he's a little bit crazy and people don't know what he's going to do. And I think that that unpredictability actually helps keep peace, uh, especially in the Middle East. I appreciate both of you for your motion, your research, your discussion. I hope you both have a great weekend. Thank you for coming in and, and giving our audience some enlightenment on both your sides. Many, many thanks, Greg.